And we have a short video of a, a person who means so much to us. Her name is Destiny Gonzalez. If you know her, you love her. And this is a, a young woman who came to college here in Waco, Texas, and found her passion in Jesus and found her purpose in his mission. And I want to share this video with you. Turn your eyes to the screen. Hi, my name is Destiny Gonzalez. I live in Washington, D.C., but before I was in Waco for about 11 years, I moved to Waco in 2012 to go to Baylor, and when I was a little 18-year-old freshman, if you had told me that I would work in ministry for about eight years or even that I would have stayed in Waco, I would have laughed. I grew up in church, went to church every Sunday, really had great understanding of religion, but really didn't know a relationship with Jesus. And so by the time I got to college, I was pretty dead with God. I had a friend who invited me to her life group every single Sunday night. She was so faithful. At the end of November, she asked me to go to a Thanksgiving dinner. And I should have known that it was the same time as her life group every week. But instead, I was like, sure, why not? And I go to this dinner and very quickly I walk in the room and I just know that there's something different. And pretty quickly they're like, hey, we're also a life group. We meet every Sunday. I'm like, of course you are. <laughs> You're the people I've been trying to avoid. But I just met a couple people there, was invited to go to college service the following Wednesday. And I remember being in college service and it was nothing I'd ever experienced before. And so I started going to church on Sunday mornings and I remember Jimmy preaching the gospel and then saying, inviting everyone to come forward. And there was something in me that was like, yeah, I'm not going forward. I, st I think I was still too insecure to really take a step forward. And then he said, if you are too nervous to come forward, tap on the shoulder of the person who brought you and make them come forward, then people think it's them. So naturally I tell my roommate, come with me. I end up talking with this woman. She had a very similar background to me and she asks me, have you ever responded to the gospel? Um, and I said, I mean, I know the story. I know that Jesus was man who lived a perfect life, he died, rose again, I can tell you. And she said, yes, but have you ever actually stepped into a relationship with Jesus? And I just shared that I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't know it was possible. So I prayed right there to give my life to Jesus. And after that, it's like my whole life changed. My parents were really young when they had me. And so I grew up not knowing my actual father. My stepdad and I just never had a good relationship. There was always this disconnect of oh, you're not really mine. When people would say, God is our father, I would say, gosh, I don't want that actually. I've never had a father. And there's still this underlying just tension of who am I? Who is my dad? And why didn't he want me? Why was he absent? And it's just felt like, the, it felt like this question mark that as much as I wanted to believe the truth of who God was, there was still this one person that I didn't quite measure up for, and that person being my dad, and I just don't understand why. In March of 2022, I remember being actually at a weekend for our college spring break mission trip. I'm sitting in the back of the room, and Jimmy's preaching on the Father Heart of God. And it's a message that I've heard so many times. I'd been on so many awakens or sat through so many sermons, and something shifted inside of me that as I'm hearing him share, there's something in me that's like, I think that I want to know my dad. I remember Jimmy coming off the stage and I immediately went to him and I just, I said, I need to meet my dad. I just, I know that I need to. Like, will you help me find my dad? And he, Jimmy's like a dad to me and he instantly said yes. And I knew my dad's name. I knew that he still lived in my hometown. And so I looked him up and 
I got home from Awaken and I wrote him a letter. The Lord was inviting me into reaching out to him and it, I don't even really believe that it was for my dad, but for me. So I send this letter and I finally get a letter back from my dad. I am in shock and he responds and says that he's open to meeting. Wasn't that surprised that I reached out. He was even hoping for it one day. And so I respond in my letter and try to initiate meeting with him. And I don't hear back all summer. I start to feel this weariness and I get to this point um, end of July where I just have this thought of I can't keep checking the mail every day. I can't keep exhausting myself with this hope. If he doesn't actually want to meet me, then he doesn't. But I have his address. I'm actually just going to go to his house. So I knock on the door, get there, and I am immensely shaking. His wife actually comes on the ring doorbell, and I have this sheer panic of, do you even know that I exist? And what I was met with was this incredibly kind woman who, it was so interesting. It's like, even through this video call, I could tell she loved Jesus just by the compassion in her voice. She was like, okay, I'll let him know that you're here and he'll call you if he has time to meet with you. I tell my roommates, okay, if he doesn't respond by 7.15, we're leaving. And I get a text from my dad at like 7.13. And he says, hey, you can come over if you want. And so I finally get to go over, I meet my dad. And it is the most surreal experience to walk in and to meet someone that you've never met in your life, but yet know or feel like you do. And for the first time I knew where my nose came from, my nose doesn't look like anyone else in my family. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's my dad's. Um, but I just got to talk with him and just learn even that he loves Jesus, which is something that I prayed for and hoped for. And I got to talk with him and his wife for hours. And I got to just vulnerably tell my dad that I wasn't angry at him and even to share what Jesus had done in my life, how I was able to come to this place of healing and just release him of pressure and say, I hold nothing against you because I actually know that I'm already loved. I already know that I have a father and it's okay that you weren't the earthly father that maybe I hoped for, but I've been so covered. Since, it's a restoration process and haven't had much contact with my dad since, but have still just carried this hope of, okay, restored relationship can't happen. And the process the Lord has begun, he's going to bring into completion. And so I'm so hopeful for years to come of what is it going to look like to know my dad? And I walk in the room at this place and I immediately feel like I have like five fathers who I could go to and tell anything to and feel the compassion and the covering of a father through these men who've laid their lives down for the church, for the mission of God, and who've been so committed to building the family of God, not just building a church, not just building an organization or a space where people can meet with Jesus. All those are beautiful things, but men who have said, we're going to build the family of God, and who brought their wives alongside them. There's so many men and women in this room, and I'm so privileged that I know that I was sent out from family to family. When the Lord put it on my heart to move to D.C., I was like, no way. I don't want to I don't want to move there, it's gold. But I have just fallen in love with the city and believe in it so much of, this is a place where family can be restored and I have such a heart to see family restoration in our own nation and believe that, okay, what happens in DC really does trickle out to the rest of our country. Family is no longer prioritized or valued always in our culture. And now getting to be a part of, okay, how do we build family again and how do we do it through the church? And so I'm honored to get to be sent out from one place to another and to just continue to build the family.
Woo! That's so powerful, isn't it? And before I jump into the Word, I just want to pray, because I know our hearts are stirred when we hear a story like that. Maybe it's a personal loss. Man, I wish my family was restored. Maybe joy. Man, thank you, Lord, for your grace. And specifically, you may be here and watching online, and you don't know Jesus. You're like destiny. You have a familiarity with it, but you've never really said yes to him. And um, again, we're going to share the word of God here in just a few minutes and uh, have a time of response after that. But I just felt that we need to respond right now. And uh, could you just put your hand on your heart? It's just a way of saying, God, I, I need you. I want, I want you to show me who you are. I want you to heal my life. Spirit of the living God, I pray over all these dear ones in this room and listening online. You loved, and you, ha- you loved and have loved them with an everlasting love. You're pursuing all of us even now to bind up our broken hearts, to set the captives free, to give freedom to prisoners. And I pray right now for the comfort of heaven. I pray right now for the healing of heaven. I pray right now for the drawing of our hearts to you. And so, Lord, I pray as you've stirred our hearts, now, Lord, open the eyes of our heart to see you, to know you, to experience you. And I pray the rest of this service, as we open up the word of God, it would set us free and that you would restore us first to you, then to one another, and even do miracles today in families that are estranged. Let the prodigals come home. Let the mothers and fathers return. And may restoration happen out of our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. That's just, I could just stay right there for a little bit. Um, For those that are new, I'm Jimmy Seibert. My wife and I, uh, Laura, and our kiddos and a group of friends started Antioch in 19. 99. We were sent out from Highland Baptist Church, so we grew up there. We often say we've been involved in two churches in our adult life, uh, one and they're 10 minutes apart from each other. So uh, we are committed not only to the church, but to God's concept of the church as a family. And our prayer is that you would feel his extended arms today, just drawing you in with his grace. And as we talked about last week, this is one of those times in our city where people re-engage. They re-engage, of course, in school. They re-engage in the workplace. And uh, these new re-engagement moments are always pivotal in our lives. And how we re-engage often determines the trajectory of our lives, not just of a moment. For Laura and I, one of the significant moments in our lives was raising four kids and sending them off to college. So this time of year is also a reminder of when our kids went from living in our home to going to college and eventually now in their young adult life. And so I thought it'd be cool maybe to show you pictures of our kids being dropped off at college. That was Abby. She was went to San Diego State. We were planning a church in San Diego. She spent her first year there and then came back here to Baylor. That's her lifting weights, the Aztecs, San Antonio. She, I thought she'd like that pic. That's why I threw it up there. All right, next one. That's our daughter, Lauren. And uh, Lauren um, and uh, Laura, they're the first week of school. And I think we got another pic at a ball game. 
There's our guides and gals, and there's Caleb, actually his freshman year, Lauren's junior year, and that's Caleb Martin Dorm. Uh, several years ago, 2013. Shout out to Jeffrey Braswell, the Braswell clan. They lived in Martin, and that was awesome. And then the last guy, he apostate, left uh, Baylor, went to Abilene Christian University, uh, and just so you know, Abilene's a beautiful school, and this is not an apostate man. He loves God. And uh, this is our youngest son, Daniel, and uh, that was us dropping them off. But when we dropped them off, we, we were hoping they were prepared. And we talked last week about four key questions that everybody's asking, whether you know it or not. And here are the four key questions. Who is Jesus? Who am I? Who are my people? And what is my purpose? Just leave that up there one more time. This is a question that every human being made in the image of God is asking, even if you don't know it. Who is Jesus? This will determine your whole destiny, eternal and in this life. Who am I in light of Jesus? What is, who are my people because we're made for one another? And then what is my purpose? Now, hopefully when we sent our kids off, they had answered those questions at one level. But as they came to college, they would have to re-answer those questions. And at different points in our lives, you have to re-answer that question. And those questions, these are the continual eternal questions that we're all answering. And our prayer is, we started last week, and we're going to finish up next week, that we're, as we go through these questions, that God would reconnect you to his purpose and plan for your life. And ultimately, that would include all of us. Well, we, we started last week in Matthew 16. If you have a Bible, you can turn there again, because this set of passages I'm going to read answer those questions. And the great thing about the Bible is they're answering those questions from Genesis to Revelations. But we're landing in one specific spot today, Matthew 16. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It says, now when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea and Philippi, he was asking his disciples. I just want to pause there and say, Isn't this amazing that God became a man and he's talking to his people? We serve a living God who is here today talking to you. You can't see him and you aren't with him, but by faith, he is not only here, but he is present by the Holy Spirit and he's wanting to speak to all of us today. And he asked this question, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, one who preaches repentance for sin. Others, Elijah, a prophet of powerful signs and wonders who does miracles. Some say, excuse me, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the compassionate one. Some say you're one of the other prophets. And he said to them, that's good and everything, but who do you say I am? See, it's not what other people say about Jesus that determines your eternal destiny and your uh, of life here on earth, but it's who do you say Jesus is? And Peter steps out and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Not the God that was, the God that is living and alive. And Jesus said, and blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So back to our chart, those questions. Who is Jesus? Well, Peter said it. 
You are the Christ. You are the Savior. You are the promised one. You're the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. Who am I, Peter? You're a rock. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Who are my people? The church, this, my church, the gathered people of God. What is my purpose? To overcome the gates of hell. Wow, isn't that a great purpose in life? Every person is made to be victorious over sin by the, by the Holy Spirit living inside of us for those who choose Jesus. So here we go. So let's review a little bit that we did last week. So Peter has this revelation. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Again, by review, the word Christ means the promised one, the Savior, the Messiah, the one who covers us from all sin. Peter was declaring what he knew in the moment, but he would know more in depth in his future. I call it the already and the not yet. All of Peter's questions weren't answered. We see this in the life of Peter because he was about to misinterpret Jesus going to the cross. He would ultimately deny Jesus. He would fail Jesus, and he would have to be restored. So here's the clarification. You don't need all your questions answered to proclaim who Jesus is, and that is Lord. When I was 17 years old, I didn't know everything about Jesus, but my heart was drawn to believe that he died for my sins and that he could be Lord and Savior. And so I prayed the best way I knew, and I put a stake in the ground that he is Lord. It's those fixed points that allow you to learn and to take the journey, but without a fixed point, you become unstable in all your ways. You do not have to have it all together to proclaim Jesus as Lord, because when you proclaim him Lord, all you're doing is agreeing with who he already is. <laughs> you are Lord, and I am not. I love in Hebrews eleven six. without faith it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to him must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Beautiful. So he declares Jesus Lord. He puts the, the stake in the ground, and then the access to understanding Jesus ultimately comes through his finished work on the cross where he extends forgiveness to us. And when we receive that forgiveness, the door is open for us to hear from him, to know him, and to walk with him. You see, for without forgiveness, even if you have a declaration of truth, you can't understand all that he has for you. Let me give you a couple scriptures. Romans 5, 6 through 8. While we were still helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Anybody felt helpless this week? Right? We all do, right? At different times along the way, we feel helpless. We feel out of control. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for us. While you were feeling helpless this week, it was the right time to access Jesus because he is the stable one. He's the rock. He's the solid one. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And then while we were yet sinners, or other versions said, while we were yet sinning, Christ died for us. That's amazing. So it is not our perfection that allows us to have access to God's grace and help. It's actually our imperfection that draws Jesus on the scene as the forgiver of sin so that we can then experience grace in its intended way. While we are sinning, while, while we are in the throes of the journey, Jesus is present to forgive and to give us new strength to run. 
Let me just say it another way. Our sin does have consequence. I can't take away all the consequences in the sense of in this life. People are hurt. Misunderstandings happen. We, we kind of stray off the path at times. Those consequences are still in play. But when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we have strength for another day. Because if you are dragging around the ball and chain from yesterday, you have no strength to run today. Guys, this stunning grace, people may struggle with forgiving you, but Jesus does not because he can't be anything but himself. And that is a forgiving, pursuing God that cuts the chains for those who confess and agree so that you have strength to run by grace, not by works. Try as hard as you want. You'll keep stumbling until you trust in Jesus alone, not just for your salvation, but for victory over sin and help in your time of need. So we see forgiveness as central. But as we talked about last week, it is not only the forgiveness of God, but what I call the witness of God that allows this reality of his lordship to be alive in our lives. Again, by review, Matthew 1, 23 A child will be born to us, and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. So here's the reality, you guys. God is with us. He's here. He's here. He's here right now. He's here by the Holy Spirit. He is present tense. He's the living God. Yes, he died, but he rose again that we might live with him forever and he can be present by his spirit right now. One of the uh, things that's been going on this last year, kind of an interesting new way that, I, that the Holy Spirit's been leading me to do different kinds of ministry. Um, there was a friend that had gone through cancer, difficult, challenging, went through surgery, came out the other side, but man, the turmoil and the trauma and the challenge of that is very, very difficult. And she'd be like a daughter in the Lord to Laura and I. And we were in a setting recently, and I said, God, how do I pray for her? He said, go just sit by her. And I just sit by her, appropriately put my arm around her like a dad to a daughter, and I'm, I just sit there. I said, God, well, what do you want me to say? Nothing. Just sit there. I sat there for about 15 minutes. And the longer I sat there, the more the tears began to flow. And you could just see like the pain begin to leave. You could see the weight begin to drop off. Her husband called me the next day and he said, man, that was the most powerful thing. She came home. She cried throughout the evening. She was talking about it over and over again. There was something about you just being present, representing God's grace that she needed to heal at another level. Isn't that amazing? Our witness matters because it is the character and nature of the one who is with us. And though a human may or may not be there at the right time to do the right thing, God is always present because he has called and made himself Emmanuel, God with us. So why is it so important that we know him as the God who is with us? We talked a little bit last week about this uh, excuse me, whole idea of attachment or detachment. When a child is born, uh, one uh, writer said it this way, they are looking for who is going to love me and care for me ultimately. 
This is the unsaid question of every child. And as we talked about last week, the interesting thing about when a child is fed, in the early uh, development uh, days, they can only see 19 inches. So the one who feeds them is the one that they connect to. And that attachment, whether it's natural feeding or even feeding with a bottle, you're, you're, you're loving and nurturing and caring. And so what happens neurologically in that bonding experience, your intellect and your emotional life and your relational life, everything is, is you know, on a, on a multiplier. It's happening rightly. That's why it's so important for healthy bonding uh, in uh, mother and father relationships with their children. Um, one theologian said this way, right attachment is the emotional bond that you developed with a person who will be there for you and truly knows you and cares for you. When attachment is not done well, which all of us have deficiencies in this area. You know why? Because no parent is perfect. And some of us have extreme trauma, whether the absent of parenting or the pain of that parent's sin affecting you, we all have some level of detachment or we wouldn't need a savior to attach us. So though our parents ideally wanted to do the best they could, even those who hurt us the most, they didn't want to be evil. Their own brokenness uh, messed up the journey, but wherever the holes are, that's why Jesus calls himself not only Lord, not only does he become your savior through forgiveness, but he becomes the God who's with you to sit next to you and heal you. Wow, beautiful stuff. Um, let, me, let me try another shot at this. We talked about last week this word hesed is the word, one of the Hebrew words for love in the Old Testament. It's mentioned over 200 times. It is that steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. It is the pursuit of God, the hesed love of God. It's the attachment love of God. I will always be there. I will always pursue you. I will always love you. I will be faithful to you. My love is, is not only eternal, but it is present and it is now. That is the hesed love of God. One of my favorite scriptures around the hesed love of God is Jeremiah 31, 3 and 4. The Lord appeared to him from afar saying, I have loved you with an everlasting, eternal commitment, stake in the ground. I'm not moving. I am wedded to you. I'm pursuing you. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've drawn you with cords of loving kindness. I've thrown out the net and pulled you this close by my spirit, that I might love you with an everlasting love. And then the next phrase says, and you shall be built and rebuilt, says the Lord. No matter how broken you feel, no matter what the challenges of life are, and there are some horrendous, crazy things going on. I know that. I've, I've been around a while. I understand. And God understands all the more. But there's only one solution. It's draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And, the, and, and be in community with people that love him and know him so that that reattachment from your detachment can happen and you can be healed and whole and have an overflow to give to others. This is the story of the gospel. One Christian psychologist, Jim Wilder, says it simply this way, the strongest attachment always wins. God, and rightfully so with his people, that love him are your way to healing, are your way to hope, and your way to help.
Another scripture that we used last week, Isaiah 49, 14 through 16. But Zion said, the people of God said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. Can we just pause for a minute? I just want to re-ask everybody. Have you ever felt like the Lord's forsaken you? Anybody? It's okay. It's all right. We're, we're, we're real. I have. Okay. Uh, have you ever felt forgotten? God doesn't see. God doesn't know. He's not near. Okay. All right. Good. Well, some of y'all are more holy than the rest of us, but there's a few of us who felt that way at different times. And when you feel that way, here's, here's, what, here's what the word of God says is our promise. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget you, but I will not forget you. Behold, I've inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Remember that back to the illustration we talked about last week. The baby is held in the arm and literally the attachment happens through love, care, feeding, and nurture. And God says, I've written your name on the palm of my hand because I'm carrying you all along the way. This is amazing. It's amazing to me. I'm getting encouraged. And my hope is there's an overflow here that'll literally net you in to believe that God is good and only has your best in mind. And actually, Jesus came so that that would be a reality and not just a hope. Woo! That's good. Jesus said this in Matthew um, chapter 9, verse 36. This is the Hesed love of Jesus. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. He saw us in our anxiety. He saw us in our fear. He saw us in our detachment. He looked with compassion on us and he went to a cross and bore your sin and my sin, your sorrows and your pain. He rose from the dead victoriously, sent his Holy Spirit so that you know he's with you always so that he could heal you and care for you. This is This is amazing. And what is more amazing is that we tend to look at it as a a distant hope instead of a now reality. And God wants to pull us into the reality of his healing uh, and restoration. One of the pictures that I had last week and prayed through again this week in my mind about these, these three weeks of going through Matthew 16 is that all of us have walls up and God is pushing the walls down. He's trying to push the wall down to get to you, to get to your heart. And if you'll just let him, it, it says this in 1 John, the, 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 that the perfect love of God casts out all fear. Can everybody say all fear? All. Yeah. So, but usually you say except my fear, right? Uh, all fear but what is it related to? The perfect love of God. I got to see him for who he is. I got to believe him for who he is. And I got to let him be himself by the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's keep rolling here. Question number two is, who am I? Matthew 16, 18. I also say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overpower it. That word Peter is the word Petra, which means rock. And he says, um, on this rock of revelation, the second word is Petros. So it's kind of like the little rock and the big rock. So he said, Peter, you are a rock, not the rock, but you are a rock. I see you, Peter. And this is what God has, this is what I and the father are calling you to, to be a rock amongst my people, right? 
Um, we've shared this often, but we would wake up our kids with this basic thought to the guys and say, rise up, man of God. It's going to be a great day. And I would always say, you are a man of God. To our daughters, we would say, rise up, beautiful. You are loved. You are loved. That's a whole other sermon for another day, male and female and all that stuff. We're going to do that here in a few weeks, actually. But what I want to, want to go back to is this. We said, rise up, men of God. It's going to be a great day. And they were men, men of God, and they were becoming men of God. And there were certain days that we wondered if that prophecy was going to come to pass. But today, they are men of God. We went on the journey together, but we declared who God saw them to be, and then went through the process of them arriving. Does that make sense? And so it is with you. Can I just say to every person in this room and everybody listening online, God has a word for you. Just as he spoke to Peter, Peter, you're my rock in the house of God. So God has a word for you. And some of you guys uh, may maybe say, hey, I didn't even know that God spoke or I don't think he speaks to me. And when I've asked that question, I hear you're a loser, you're a failure. Can I just say that's the devil? Just want to call him out. He's called the accuser of the brethren. When you hear something different than what God sees you as, according to his word, you're being lied to from the one that wants to destroy you. It is not putting our head in the sand, yeah, I did fail, or yes, I did sin, or whatever, but Jesus died for that. You bring it to him, and then you listen again for who he says you're to be, because he says this in Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, and they're for good and not for evil. Some of you out there believe that your life has been literally predetermined for evil and destruction. That is hell. That is from the enemy. God created you for his glory to be loved and to be cared for and to have purpose. He wants to speak to you. And actually, I'm going to pray that right this second because I, I just, if we'll open our ears and open our hearts. So Lord, we submit to you. We resist every lie of the devil, those incessant accusations in our hearts and minds. We bind those in the name of Jesus. And we ask right now, God, would you speak your love and your care and your affirmation and reaffirmation right now? We're just kind of wait 30 seconds and you just pray a simple prayer. God, would you tell me who you see that I am, would you tell me who I am today? Now, Lord, would you continue to dismantle the confusion and put us on the rock of your revelation and care for us? Amen. So Peter knows who he is. And now we're going to go to question number three. Question number four, we're answering next week. So you need to come back. Question number three, Peter finds out who I am. I'm a rock. <laughs> and the already and the not yet. And then the next, the next question to be answered is, who are my people? And Jesus says this. Can we go back to verse 18? Who are my people? He says, I will build my church in the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So church, 
uh, the word church. First time it's mentioned in the New Testament, it's going to be mentioned 104 times throughout the rest of the Bible. This church is the word, Greek word, ekklesia. And though we see it in a spiritual context, the word literally just means an assembly or a gathering. In Greek life, it could have been a civic gathering, could have been a political gathering. It just simply means an assembly or a gathering. But in this context, Jesus said, I'll build my church. It's now personal. This isn't an assembly. It is his assembly. And when you really break down the word ecclesia, it literally means to call out the assembly for a purpose. So let's, let's re- look at that. Ecclesia means called out people who s- assemble together for his purpose. When we're doing church, we are a called out people gathered in his name with him as the head of the church. This thing is alive and living and active. It's not just an assembly. It is the assembly. It is the way that God displays his glory in the earth, heals and restores and renews his people. So a few questions might come to mind immediately. Do I have to go to church to be a Christian, to be saved? Yet technically, no, you're saved by grace through faith. But practically, yes. It's like saying, uh, I'm a pretty good quarterback, but I don't want a team. No team for me. Great. Throw, throw, throw all you want. Nobody's blessed. Nobody's helped. But you look really good in that uniform. So uh, have a ball. Or it's like saying, well, I'm a hand, but I don't want any other body parts around. I just want to, whoo, just this little hand waving all around town. That's, that's ridiculous, right? So you laugh at the ridiculousness of it, but we can never di- divorce Jesus from his church. We are his body. And, you know, for better or for worse, we're all he's got to work with. He has chosen that. So then we turn around and say, we believe you. That even in her imperfections, this is your divine design and this is your plan and Jesus, we are with you. Now I'm going to come back around talking about the, the um, challenges sometimes of the church, but I want to highlight one aspect of the church uh, uh, and that is the church ultimately is a family. Among other things uh, that we'll talk about next week, the church is a family. In Malachi uh, 4, verse 6, it says that the spirit of Elijah is coming, this is the end of the Old Testament, to restore the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. And then Matthew 1, 1, at the end of that, so that the the curse would be broken from the land. God restores family so that the curse can be broken off of generations of your family. So the curse can be broken and a society can have hope and help because there's solid family life under the rule and reign of Jesus. We see in Matthew 1.1, then Jesus shows up and it says, Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, the son of David and the son of Abraham, picking up on this Abrahamic promise that all the families of the earth will be blessed through God's promise and God's covenant. So God chooses the covenant of marriage to raise godly children and offspring to multiply his glory in the earth. And then he takes it up a notch. That's the nuclear family. But he says, we're not just a nuclear family. We are a spiritual family because it's not just for those who married and have natural children. It's for anyone who is born again is now a part of a spiritual family, which Jesus seemed to intimate actually even is higher than or equal value to the nuclear family. In Matthew 
um, 12, uh, he, he, basically there's this discourse going on and they're telling Jesus, hey, your mothers and your, your brothers and they're outside the door. And he said, well, who are my mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters? These are the ones who love God and obey God. They are my mother's brothers, fathers and sisters. So what he's doing is letting us all be a part of the family, not just a few to be a part of the family. Again, beautiful scripture. Here's one, Romans 8, 15, and 16. For you've not received a spirit of slavery, bondage to fear again. Once again, if you're in this room and you're living under the bondage of fear, that's not God's will nor desire for you. His perfect love casts out all fear. But you've received a spirit of adoption, reattachment, reconnection. You're not just floating. You're attached now. By which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Ephesians 2.19 says this, So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. You of are, are of God's household. So God is a family man who literally creates a family for healing, restoration, and renewal so that the curse is broken out over our personal lives, but even over the, the city that we serve and the nations that we're about. Wow, amazing. So let me just kind of try to summarize this. The issues, though, then, the barriers, the walls to this kind of conversation have two places of pain. One is our nuclear family, right? Well, my parents didn't love me, or they were Christians but didn't act like it, or uh, something traumatic happened in my life. And God understands that, and we understand that, and there is great compassion and mercy, but even those things can only be healed by coming to Jesus and his family to get restored from what your family lacked. Does that make sense? We do that by blessing and forgiving. Today is not a seminar on that, but it's here to affirm and to recognize that many times when we talk about family and father language, we distance ourselves because we don't know how to cope with the detachment and the brokenness and pain in our lives. And I just want you to say that's called a wall that Jesus sees and he wants to take it down through his love. The second piece is we have spiritual family wounds. We have, I was a part of a church. I, I, I went to this deal. I, I had hopes, but the church let me down or somebody hurt me or maybe something very traumatic and extreme. And so when people use that as a justification for not being a part of the church, first of all, God uh, is empathetic. I understand, but here's the deal. I am not shocked when people in the church sin. Maybe you are. I'm not. Because I know my own heart and I know life. And here's, here's the deal. Men and women mess up everything. It's called sin. You can be born again and mess stuff up. You can be not born again and mess stuff up. Humans mess up everything. But they're supposed to be a pastor or a leader or, or, or they said all these things. Listen, I don't know if you've figured it out yet, but people mess everything up. But God has made everything right. So if it's clear that Jesus is a savior, Jesus is my hope and help, and if it's clear that he's created the church, his people to be his healing and restoration, then I'm never gonna pull away from God's divine design just because people mess things up. Because it's my only hope. With, with the essence of the church, because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it, inside the church is the power of God and the help and the hope of God. And it's the most unique thing on the planet. There is no other help apart from Jesus and his church. 
So the enemy is constantly trying to give all kinds of reasons for you to deconstruct and walk away from the church. And I'm telling you, you may need to separate from people who are doing bad and ugly things, but you never walk away from the people of God and the church of God or you'll be picked off by the enemy. And in our city, we have so, we're so rich, so many beautiful churches here. I was on a, a, a group text with eight other pastors this morning. We were praying for each other. And just so you know, there's so many churches, but here's my deal. Non-church is not an option. For the people of God, we need you connected to a body somewhere. And my, our hope says, hey, if, if you're here and you're led here, please plant here. But if not, get to the next church immediately and connect. <laughs> if somebody said, well, I feel led to leave Antioch, then don't pass go. Go straight to the next church God's leading you to. Whatever gap you lead, that's where the enemy's coming in. With bitterness and anger and brokenness and all that stuff. Again, there's a reason's a mile high but Jesus is beyond the mile, right? <laughs> and he gave us a perfect plan through his people in his church. When the church is what it's called to be, there's 64 one another's in the New Testament. Here's a few. When we're what God's called us to be, we love one another. We care for one another. We're patient with one another. We accept one another. We forgive one another. We prefer one another. We encourage one another. This is the beauty of the church on display. And along the way, uh, as I said for Laura and I, we've experienced that sweetness and the beauty of church. Yes, we've experienced pain, disappointment, challenge, and everything else. But the surpassing glory of God's purpose and plan is so much greater than the temporal pain of life that we've already put our stake in the ground and we're staying with it because the church is the only boat that makes it through. Wow. I want to do two last things here to end our time. I want to put a very familiar passage, hopefully to many of you, and that's Acts 2, 42 through 47. This is the first outworking of the church. After Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit comes, and 3,000 people come to the Lord of the day, and they begin to gather house to house. And the reason I want this up, and, I, and uh, on the video, they're not seeing my face on purpose, because I want us to just slowly walk through this scripture, and then I want to share maybe a powerful story to hopefully illustrate it. Here's what I, I say, and this is how Laura and I live our life. My plumb line for how I should live in my character is Jesus. My plumb line for an expectation and what we aspire to as a church is Acts 2, 42 through 47. And I'm never going to give up until we conform into the image of Jesus and conform to his word and become the church he's called us to be. Are you ready? This is the church. They, us, we, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching into fellowship. That's the richest word, koinonia, covenantal bonded family. To the breaking of bread, communion, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonder, signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together, had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions, were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. I've seen thousands of needs met. I mean, maybe 100,000. One of the most beautiful things, one life group one time, they, there was several couples who were in debt. And they said, we're just going to take one couple. We're all going to sacrifice to get them out of debt one by one by one. And everybody got out of debt. They got free from the chains because they actually believed that the word of God was true. Day by day, continue with one mind in the temple. That's what we're doing right now. 
and meeting house to house. That's what we call life groups. They were praising God, always the center of a gathering of the people of God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding their number day by day, those who were being saved. Who didn't want to be a part of the beauty of God being lived out in the community, house to house, being lived out as we worship and pray together? Again, Laura and I could share story after story of how that's affected our own lives. But I want to take you back to February of 1993. And in February of 1993, we're in life group with a couple named Ed and Bev Kemmerling, as well as some other dear friends. And in the middle of, uh, of that journey, a lot of people were having their first child, and Ed and Bev were excited to have their first little boy. Uh, that particular day on February 25th, they have Obadiah Kemmerling. Uh, he also goes by Oak, for those who know him. And um, within about three hours, he's struggling breathing and and Ed's concerned, and, and um, so he, he calls the doctor or gets the doctor involved, and once they kind of check him out, they said, oh my goodness, one of his lungs is already filling up, and there's only 25% left, and he's fighting for his life, and the prayers that y'all need to pray is that he would keep fighting. And man, we met up at the hospital and our life group began 24-7 prayer and then other life groups got involved. And for 10 straight days, we prayed around the clock, didn't miss an hour, didn't miss a moment, lifting this little boy and this family to the Lord. Now we saw a miracle and I just want to pause right here. You may have had the same experience and not seen the external miracle at the moment. But even in the toughest challenges that may not end up in the way that I'm about to tell you, there's something that bonds in our pain as well as in our victory. So in this particular situation, he got better and better and better. And the doctors are just amazed. It's a miracle. He made it. We, we had our miracle. We were bonded together for life. About six years ago, um, Oak and now his wife, Jessica, and two little kids, they moved here to Waco. Uh, For the last four years, he volunteers on the tech team. But the way I get to see him consistently is uh, he works at American Airlines uh, in Waco. And because I travel a lot, uh, I like friendly American Airlines people. uh, And he is top of the line. Uh, Laura and I were there at 5.30 a.m. when we got that great news that your flight is going to be delayed, you know, an hour or two. And uh, Oak came on the, on the microphone. Hello, everybody. Good morning. I'm just so sorry for the inconvenience, but we want to be here for you. We want to take care of you. And Laura and I are looking at us. He's pastoring the flock. And this is a rough crowd, right? And I thought, man, there's a grace on him. There's just something about the way he carries himself and loves people. And we're just so grateful for his life. And I was talking to him yesterday uh, to tell this story. And, and I, I, uh, uh, he said this. He said, there's probably not a week that goes by, he said, since I've been back in Waco, that I don't see somebody in the city or in the workplace or whatever that comes up to me and said, are you Oak Kimberling? Kimberling, I prayed for you. I prayed for you. He said, almost every week, for the years, something bonded together in that small group community that became the church community. We bonded together with this little boy. And now he's a 30-year-old man and leading his own family. And those prayers were not just for a temporary victory for health and healing, but for the rest of his life. 
and the prayers live. Isn't that amazing? God has community for us, not just vertically, but horizontally to carry us. And you know what? You never know when your need will happen, but you want to be in community when it does. And you want to be among the people of God. Amen. Let's stand together. Our prayer teams can come quickly down to the front, be available. Hey, every time we gather, we pray for one another. We pray for people who are sick. We pray in the name of Jesus and ask God to do a miracle. At the very least, you'll be comforted. At the very most, who knows what God might do today for you physically. So I always say, if you're in a place of need this morning physically, man, you want to get down here quick and get somebody to pray for you in the name of Jesus. We'll have people up on that landing area as well if you can't make it down here. Um, Also, I know I've addressed a couple issues. There's walls in our life. There's fears. I think there's suicidal thoughts, depressive thoughts, lies that the enemy is just doling out to, to be harmful to you. And we often just need to be honest with one another and somebody and say, could you pray for me? Please pray. And we want to pray for you that those evil thoughts would be gone in the name of Jesus and that the peace of God would come over your heart and over your mind. I know there's so many needs in this room, physically, mentally, emotionally. I don't know what all they are, but God does. And as we pray for one another, it allows that gate to open for us to experience the grace that he has for us. So again, if you need prayer, don't let pride or anybody else keep you from getting the help you need. And again, if you feel a little embarrassed, never done this, maybe ask the friend you came with, hey, could you go down and let them pray for me in the name of Jesus. In a moment, we're just going to seal this word with a worship song. But right before we do, if there's anybody out there online or in this room that doesn't know Jesus, I want to take you to him right now. His arms are wide open through his death, burial, and resurrection. He's already taken care of your sin, but now you have to trust in him. So if you're here, there's two responses. You're either coming up for prayer, you're praying for somebody next to you, or right now you're joining me and praying for anybody you know that doesn't know Jesus and any prodigals that need to come home. All right, church, I need you. I need you right now. You're either praying and responding to what he's doing in you, or you're praying for a prodigal to come home, or you're praying for somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And if you need Jesus, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, just pray it right after me. If you don't know him, you're not secure and clear. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross for me. You're just affirming what he's already done. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you made a way to the Father just for me. I am yours, Lord. I'm yours. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my sin. I believe, God, that you are who you say you are. And so I come and I give my heart and I give my life to you. Right now, I am yours. If you just prayed that prayer, just put your hand over your heart. Every man, woman, and child who's calling on the name of the Lord right now, you promise God, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I proclaim them free from the power of sin and death, not according to my word, but your word. Thank you, Lord, that the angels in heaven rejoice over everyone who is coming to you right now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's sing together. Let God seal his work. Again, don't let anybody or anyone keep you from prayer. Coming down the front, we'll make sure somebody's here for you or up on the landing deck. Let's sing together.